Welcome to the Amy Rushworth Show. I'm your host, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. I'm an empowerment and sexual wellness coach, breathwork teacher, podcaster, course creator, badass bitch, and a globally recognized thought leader on empowerment. And I'm here to help you if you're ready to fuck off the rules and create a life of unashamed, unapologetic pleasure and deep, deep confidence. I have a burning passion for the taboo and naughty areas of womanhood that we're not supposed to talk about, such as sexual wellness, bold self-expression, defying social expectations, and so much more. The topics that we're typically taught to shut up about or be ashamed of are the conversations I live for, and those are the kind of juicy, soulful chats that are going down on this show. My intention is for you to step into your most outrageously free, unapologetically expressed version of you. So if that sounds like a vibe, let's fucking go. Are you ready? Hey, beautiful. Welcome back to the show. So good to have you here. So good to be here again, Amy. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Rosie. So for anyone who's totally new and didn't hear your previous episode, can you introduce yourself? Yeah. So I'm Rosie. I'm from Australia and I am the founder of Yoni Pleasure Palace, which is Australia's leading uh, crystal and glass sex toy company. And I'm also the founder of Women's Nude Yoga and Naked Awakening, which is a facilitator training designed to um, teach women how to teach nude yoga. And I'm a sex and relationship coach for women, which I usually specialize in women's sensuality, women's self-pleasure, women connecting. I want to call myself a yoni coach, but I don't know if I can do that, but I'm just going to do it. I'm a yoni coach. I help women (laughs) learn and love their yonis again. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. So let's dive right in. Why do you think that so many women have so much shame and they think of self-pleasure as so taboo? Like that is not a conversation that most people would have over the dinner table or with their family or with their friends. Why do you think that is? I think there's lots of reasons why, um, namely around conditioning, religion, cultural upbringing, parents, school, like literally all of our environment when we grew up as kids, that that really has this effect and this impact on our ability to connect to ourselves sexually. In saying that, you know, with, with my upbringing, for example, I had no sex education, no discussion at any table, dinner table, (laughs) anywhere with my parents. Um, so it was very, it was shrouded in mystery. And um, so I guess I just read bet- between the lines and realised, okay, maybe it's taboo, maybe it's something we just don't talk about. Um, but I was highly sexual from my young age with myself and with um, another girl, which I explored with when I was younger. And, yeah, I kept that under wraps for many, many years. I felt a lot of shame about that. Um, and it wasn't until I started, you know, probably my mid twenties when I started actually delving into Tantra and reading books and realizing actually, this is the most natural thing in the world. Um, and it was, for me, it was more that Catholic upbringing of like, you know, safe sex for marriage and masturbation is a sin. Um, 
So I was holding, it wasn't until my a serious boyfriend um, mentioned to me, he's like, you know, you're holding on to a lot of guilt and shame from not just self-pleasure, but just sex in general. Like I was still beating myself up that I wasn't a virgin at 25 years old. It's crazy. So I think it's, yeah, there's lots of different reasons why. Um, what about you? I'd love to know from you as well. Did you have much like education around self-pleasure or sex when you were younger? I feel as though my parents were open about a lot of things, but not sex. And I'm not sure if it's, it was from a bad place of being super religious. I mean, for example, like my dad didn't want me baptized and my mum and my grandma, like stole me away and baptized me. (laughs) Um, but I think that was more for my grandma because my grandma's, you know, she goes to church every week, but my parents were never really super strict with that. We weren't raised, you know, with prayer and religion. Um, but it was, I think maybe they just found it awkward and they maybe just didn't know what age to start talking to me about it. But I was, you know, sexual from a really young age, similar to you. I remember doing things with friends of mine, maybe as early as like nine, um, and I also I was about six yeah wow <laughs> which is the normal age which is actually a really common age around the five or six mark yeah I think that would surprise a lot of people as well but you know I don't I, I I don't not believe that you know and um yeah and then I experienced sexual abuse when I was 11 so like my first education on sex was like as a woman being violated you know so I think a lot of that then sort of transmuted into how I viewed sex as a teenager and it was to please a man to please someone else it didn't matter how you felt um and I remember I was self-pleasuring really young as well but I was laughing at your stories the other day because you were asking people what was the weirdest thing that they masturbated with and it was like deodorant cans and was there like an avocado peeler or something and um I remember thinking I was like I used to try and find things as well around the house but I held so much shame around that for a long time as well yeah and that's what sparked the discussion that I had after that I realized wow we as young girls we use some pretty dangerous things both externally and internally to self-pleasure so you know where there's a will there's a way and if we have we have sexual energy at a young age and we're going to find something to use, right? Um, and it made me think, like, it, it should be actually quite important that parents, and I, I just want to preface this by saying our parents were just doing what they knew how to do. You know, they obviously weren't given much sex education, if any, so how on earth would they know how to give it to us? So that it's not about pointing the finger and blaming our parents at all. However, like how beautiful would it be to gift your daughter a, and even there was a lot of men that were writing in saying they were exploring things like that internally too, um, to gift them a, and I've got some here, uh, that's just like little, little crystal dildos that are about 12 centimetres long. Like these are really small um, and I usually recommend these for women um, with a lot of pelvic floor tension uh, because, you know, they are petite and because they're firm, they can actually press on different spots inside the vagina to massage and release tension. Um, but to gift something so special and sacred and safe, can I just say, like, I remember using yeah, a Barocca tin back then. <laughs> and um, 
you know, fake, like there was a face cleanser bottle that I used once in the heat of the moment. <laughs> I was feeling it in the shower. So, you know, it's, and a lot of girls were like even teddies that have teddies and pillows. Um, but to gift your daughter a, a pleasure wand, nothing too intimidating, obviously, not like a big black crystal cock or something, but just something really beautiful and maybe like a pleasure t- teddy or pleasure something so that they know they don't need to tell their family, their mother or father what they're doing, but at least they're going to, if they're going to do something, which inevitably we are like, that's, we're human. We're going to explore our own bodies, especially if it feels good. Like that's the sole purpose of the clitoris is for pleasure. Like, of course we're going to explore that. Um, but to know that we're doing it safely, I think that's just a no brainer. But if there's a, if there's parents that hold sexual shame, that's not going to happen. And so I love kind of educating and talking to mothers because if I can talk to mothers then our daughters and sons will have a healthier um, connection to their self-pleasure. Amazing. I'm assuming with that question that you posed to your Instagram audience it was mostly support from mums based on the nature of people who probably follow you I guess a lot of people will probably think that, that this is just like such a taboo conversation and they would be so not up for that but like you said it's like you can only give what you have to give or what you've been given or conditioned with right so part of this work I suppose like if you're a mum is doing the work for yourself so you can you know create that safe space for your daughter for your son yeah absolutely and and it was met with I would say 99% support there was, of course, a few mothers that were like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Like I might talk to them about it, but I'm not going to give them a dildo. Um, I think that there's even shame and, and taboo around the word dildo or like for a lot of like just it, it maybe reframing it as a pleasure wand or a wand or something. Just it's, it's yeah, I had one woman say that she took her 16-year-old to Sexpo and gifted her a vibrator. And even though I'm, I don't support um young girls using vibrators I think vibrators are great for women who struggle to have those clitoral orgasms um it helps them discover that that part of their sexuality but if you use them too long and too you know for extended periods of time it can lead to desensitization um and also disconnection with the partner so if you're needing to reach for that we vibe or that you know um clitoral vibrator with your partner that can add a bit of a barrier like I want women girls to explore with their fingers like finger like really learn like so many women even like think about tampax it's like an extra applicator thing that like it's just more freaking landfill when you think about it environmentally but women aren't even comfortable putting a finger inside their vagina to put a tampon in it's like where do we become so disconnected to our vaginas we should be you know in people should know women should know ideally what their cervix feels like what their cervix is where is it located I think it's really important that we talk about this with young girls because that's where it starts definitely definitely and I remember being in the toilet cubicle when I first got my period and one of my friends at school who had had her period for a couple of years was standing outside the door telling me how to put it in mm. because no one had told me how to use a tampon. And I didn't not even know the anatomy of my own vagina. Like I'd been self-pleasuring, but I'd just been kind of using my clitoris. But, you know, I didn't even know how to put a tampon in. And I remember 
even when I got my period, I was so ashamed and I didn't want to tell anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't feel like she created that condition in the sense that like she announced it at the dinner table because she was so happy when I got my period. So she was trying to celebrate me, but I remember feeling so much shame when she did that. And I was so embarrassed because Mm. I don't know, I guess the conditioning up until that point, it was strange because all I wanted was to get my period, like my friends who had their period and then I got it. And suddenly I was like, fuck. (laughs) Gross. It's interesting, isn't it? I remember at boarding school, I was guiding this this girl one grade below me. I think I must have been about fourteen or fifteen, and I was literally telling, like, I had to give her a bit of lubricant because we tried the first time. I was just outside the cubicle guiding her, and it wouldn't go in. And because, of course, it's like if it's dry and it's hard to insert a tampon sometimes. So we tried with lube, and she didn't even know. Her parents didn't even. I mean, no one, none of our parents educated us, but at boarding school we were like this big extended family and we'd all just help each other out. So I think a lot of my open-mindedness stemmed from that as well. I chose to go to boarding school and being around women all day, every day was, you know, actually a really good thing. But um, I want to throw my daughter a period party and I, I just want to do everything that I didn't get a chance to do. And even now, like Mackenzie, my stepdaughter's three, and she'll hold... Um, cause I was taking some photos of our menstrual cups and she, I was like, Mackenzie, where does that go? And she put it down at a yoni and oh. she knows it's called a yoni and a vagina and a vulva. Like we've given her all the, the proper terminology for certain parts. Like she knows. And I just looked at Ash the other day and I said, oh, I wish, I wish I got this. And Mackenzie's so lucky. She's getting this education at such a young age because she's asking questions like of course we're not gonna I think that's a lot of mums are like what what's the right that's the biggest question I got on my Instagram was well what age Rosie what what age do we know to tell our child about this stuff and I was like well for starters a are they asking you if they're asking you or they're starting to like for example even when I'm at an expo and I've got all my products there and it's a mind body spirit expo so you know pretty mainstream people come to that spiritual people but also anyone a lot of girls will be like oh what's that like you know curious and mothers will just pull them away and be like oh don't look at that and they'll cover their eyes and I just think "Uh uh-uh she's curious this is a perfect time and and to have such sacred sex toys and sacred you know a yoni egg isn't a sex toy it's a pelvic floor weight great this is a great access point to education and educating your daughter about this stuff so if they're asking questions perfect inlet to going into that b if you've seen them or accidentally caught them walked in on them um self-pleasuring time to talk about it um if you suspect something time to talk about it like it's between the ages of generally well, I think it's um, scientifically that, you know, young girls as, as young as two, even younger, they've even seen babies in feet in um, in the in utero self-pleasuring. So <laughs> I guess if, if your child is touching themselves, you know, just tell them that it's natural for it to feel pleasurable, to feel good. Um, but if they do want to touch themselves, just go to their bedroom. Like it's as simple as that. And, or, and here you go, use that teddy or use this if, if they're a bit older and they feel like they want to explore internally. Great, here's something you might want to, even just leaving it in their room for them to kind of self-discover so that they're not using pens and toothbrushes and razors, you know, the other end of a razor and, and 
you want your, your child to be safe. So yeah, it is a really taboo topic. I agree. But I feel like if they're ready, they're ready. You, you could talk to them about it. And if you're not comfortable talking about it, outsource it. You know, someone like myself, I'm super comfortable talking about this stuff. So if you feel confident in me and you know what I'm all about and you can even sit in on the call kind of thing if you wanted to, that might feel more comfortable. Amazing. I always think it's strange how parents have these different stories to tell their children of how they came into being, how they came to be born, whether it's from the stalk or they came in through the belly button. And then it's like all of a sudden the sex thing happens and it's shr- it shrouded in a lot of vagueness and sexual education in school, from what I recall, was all about how do you not get an STI and die? And what is the anatomy of a penis? We were given bananas to put condoms on, but I never remember learning about pleasure or even the different parts, you know, the vulva, the vagina, the cervix, the the different proper names for everything. Um, So what do you think Mm. that this instills in young girls and women from a young age when we approach sex from either this shameful view or this super clinical view for starters if you're learning about the penis anatomy and not the female anatomy that's there's issues there it's very masculine focused or um, male focused um which is you know what we all learn from about sex and porn which is very masculine dominated in terms of you know, he's the one that orgasms and he's the one receiving all the pleasure and she's just subservient and giving to him and not, and seemingly very orgasmic in that. Um, but unfortunately that is a lot of our sex education is from porn. Um, but I think that this fear-based learning is a, is a really huge part of our sexual shame and, and not becoming a sexually embodied woman down the track because you've kind of like, you've you're you're scared for starters like I was always a bit scared having sex not just about getting pregnant but about getting STDs and about getting rejected like there was so much fear around sex and for me I got the I'm going to hell as well yeah um because I had sex before marriage um I remember losing my virginity and crying so you know within the after having sex I was so upset that I'd let myself down um so I think, yeah, it's, it is very clinical. We're not talking about boundaries. We're not talking about um, desire or orgasm or asking for what you need or asking for what you don't want, like boundaries. Um, and it's, and it's kind of coming from the wrong people. You know, teachers aren't exactly equipped to be teaching this. The, I think my, the, the extent of reproductive um, health that I got was from my religion teacher. And she was in her 60s and very close-minded. And I remember learning about the, you know, the reproductive system in itself, but not sex. So I think you've got to, have, got to have the right people teaching it as well and transferring that information on. But it's it's very warped. And I think there's a few countries in the world that are doing it really well. And I think there's usually Scandinavia. Scandinavia is just awesome <laughs> because they you know, they've, they've got the right idea with the sauna culture and nudity being very normal and embraced between men and women and it's not a sexual thing. Um, so they're doing a lot of great sex education over there as well. Amazing, amazing. I hope to see it change and um, especially what you were saying earlier around periods, you know, this idea that this is this celebration, this 
becoming of being in your next cycle of woman, you know, like I want to have moon ceremonies and blood ceremonies for my babies, you know, (laughs) and I wish that it wasn't so, um, such a shameful thing for, for girls, because I feel like there are so many things that just tell us that we're wrong in society that just tell us that, we're less than, um, you know, by conditioning, by different structures that exist. And they're being perpetuated by women too, because we've been told this for so long. Um, so often like people are triggered. If I talk about this stuff on my Instagram, even though they kind of like it, they're kind of triggered as well. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you think we can start to own this? How can we start to embrace this especially if the people around us aren't doing that. So say you're going on a journey of becoming more sexually embodied, but all of your friends and family are still super conservative and they're not on the same vibe. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, when I first started doing all this tantra work and nude yoga and starting this, my business, I, I lost a lot of friends and I lost even family. At the time, I lost my family for a couple of years. So I think you've got to be willing to lose some people out of your life, at least temporarily, until they realize you're not crazy. Um, and, you know, you might lose them for good. And, and that just shows, like, you can't fake what you, in your life. Like, you can't dull your light. You can't not express yourself authentically on social media anymore. Like, you, people can feel that. You know, when I share what I share, it's met with, I would say, like I said, 99% of everyone on my page is like, yeah, I agree with that um, because it's my it's my authentic truth. So, yeah, it's being willing to lose some people and being willing to know that you, you, you might not be liked, you might not be, people might not agree with you. Um, it's that people please are part of people that stops them from really sharing um their their true beliefs around this stuff but I think the more we talk about it collectively if we all start talking about our periods and about orgasms and all this stuff well that's going to start to normalize things even more like when I started talking about it oh my god no one else was doing it and it was really taboo and racy and I would lose a lot of followers all the time but now I don't give a shit like I lose probably three or four hundred followers a week and I gain five or 600 followers a week. It's like, okay, you win some and you lose some. I don't care anymore. You know, whatever my truth is, I know that that's going to help somebody out there. And that's why I talk about, you know, I always say I love bleeding. I don't say I love my period or I love menstruation. I say I love bleeding. And it triggers people. It triggers a lot of women because a lot of women have been conditioned from a very young age. Oh, you're going to hate your period. It's going to be so painful. It's the worst, most inconvenient thing. It's like, well, actually, I really believe bleeding is a sign of health and a sign of fertility. And I love the feeling of getting my period and bleeding and letting go of the month that was. For me, that's a really empowering experience. And, and often that's actually better than the PMS. Not that I get a lot of PMS anymore, but PMS symptoms. I prefer my winter phase of my cycle over my autumn. So I've learned to embrace it. And I think a lot of women like just, take a pill or put an IUD and don't want to feel it but it's the, our sacral chakra our womb space wants that's the the seat of emotion and seat of creativity and that's where our life force is like really bubbling and if we're suppressing it and just numbing it out 
that's going to really show in our life as well. Definitely, totally agree with that. And I've been on that journey myself too, where, you know, I used to just have a Panadol at the site of any pain or in anything that was inconvenient, have a Panadol and just crack on, you know, very masculine way of living. And then when I started to read more and learn more about the cycle, about the different seasons and actually the wisdom that is available to you during your winter, during your bleed, I was like, fuck, oh my God, I'm doing myself such a disservice. And I actually rejoice Mm. when I get it when I'm on like a retreat because I'm like, yes, I'm tapped in, you know, I'm tapped into what I'm here to do. Um, And a lot of women actually get their periods when they work with me or come on a retreat when they haven't had it for a long time. And they're like, why have I got my period? And I'm like, "You're, you're shedding, you're letting go, you know, this is your body communicating with you. And that's amazing for a lot of people because like you said people can be very disconnected from that womb space from that sacral chakra you mentioned the IUD and I know you're passionate about talking about this so why don't you share a little bit about what your thoughts are on the on IUD on the contraceptive pill and how that can influence our connection to our womb to our sacral chakra Mm. I started becoming a bit more passionate about this um, because when I was around 26, I 25, 26, I met this man who I was in a relationship for quite a while and I really wanted to have unprotected sex with him and, and have him ejaculate inside me like I had done in previous relationships being on the pill. And so I tried to go back on the pill and I took the pill every day for one week and I had two urinary tract infections. And not that that's even related, like I've never heard of that really happening, but it was my vagina's way of going, nope, I don't want that in my body and you're not taking that. So I literally just stopped. I was like, okay, I'm going to actually listen to what my yoni's saying and I really believe our yonis have a voice and she will communicate to us through conditions like UTIs, bacterial vaginosis, thrush, even just like her microbiome, her smell, her taste, like what if there's a rash or something, like that's all a sign um, that you're holding. There's some emotion there, like that's metaphysical for something going on. Um, And so I stopped taking the pill and honestly my whole life changed. Like I really became more embodied in myself. I started going on, I started to feel more during sex. I wanted sex more too. I had, can I just say, I had three years of awful periods after that because I feel like my uterus was pissed at me. Like she was, she was like, you've been on the pill for literally since you were 17. And I remember I only went on the pill really because I had a few pimples and I, it was a very vain kind of thing. And yeah, I had a boyfriend, but um, I was taught to use condoms as well. So I used to use the pill and condoms just, and my skin cleared up. Um, so my uterus was pissed at me for a few years and I feel like you've got to, if you are having a lot of pain, again, she's talking to you. There's something that you're not feeling. Um, and a lot of women will go and get an IUD for that. Um, (coughs) a lot of doctors really push it, um, because it's kind of pop it in and away you go, like whether it's releasing hormones or it's a copper IUD. And I know there's a lot of success stories. I'm not going to say that there's not. There is a lot of positivity around the IUD. Um, but the women who often reach out to me, and it was one woman in particular said, you know, I've, I, my, I, my IUD is missing. It's inside my body. It's perforated my uterus and it's now in my abdomen. And um, 
she sent me an x-ray photo of this and I just put it on my Instagram thinking, is this for real? Like, does this actually happen to women? And then I was inundated with so many women in the same boat. And not just that, but women who had an ID, had it removed and struggled with fertility afterwards or had no, like, completely different orgasms like they can't have cervical orgasms anymore because what it does is it it literally pierces through the cervix and extends out into the uterus and so it's kind of irritating the uterus um, and the cervix and a lot of women get UTIs from it and just what I want to say here is if the IUD is not causing you any pain and everything feels good and that's fine don't stress like that's if it's working for you awesome if you have pain, if you stopped having orgasms, if you've got spotting all the time or your period's all over the place or you just have no libido, any any random symptoms that you never used to have, go and get it checked. And, you know, if you feel you can't feel the little wire, if you put your finger in and try to feel for the wire and it's gone, go to the doctor. You want to make sure that it's still in place and it hasn't gone up into your uterus. They can get it out. They'll just have to put you under and take it out if it has gone somewhere else um and I don't want to share too many horror stories but if you do I have a highlight on my Instagram but I'm, I'm just all about natural ways first like the fan method so you know tracking your cycle tracking your mucus your cervical mucus your cervical placement and position pulling out on day you know there's an ovulation day you know so five days before that and 24 hours after um ovulation um, I used the pull-out method for many years, so I, I know that sounds reckless, but it worked for me. And um, I didn't have sex around my ovulation time. I knew my body really well. I know my body so well now. And this is the stuff we should be taught in school, like tracking our cycle, knowing knowing all this stuff and knowing our options and try to go as hormonal-free and copper-free as humanly possible you know, because your your period will balance out and especially even just using the egg. Um, I'm not going to say a claim like, yes, this will fix your period. No, it, but I've heard a lot of women who've started using the egg and voila, their period just reappears. Like you said on the, on the retreats, it's like a bit of an energetic, hello, like I'm starting to take, atten- take bring awareness and bring attention to this space and then your period comes back. Um, so that's, that, that kind of makes sense. I could go on about this forever. <laughs> I'm so passionate about it. I feel you. I kind of accidentally went off the pill by chance when I didn't know any of any of the stuff that I know now. And then I just was using the pull-out method for a long time. And, you know, I like you, I know my body really well. I know the mucus. I know exactly where I am in my cycle based on what my body tells me because I feel like I'm quite a clear vessel. You know, I'm not putting anything in my body. I'm not putting alcohol in my body. I'm not putting the pill in my body. I'm in tune with what what my energy is like, what my womb feels like, how my water retention is. Like I know exactly when I'm going to get my period because my body tells mm. me. But I guess, like you said, it's all about body autonomy. It's like making the decision that feels really good for you with all the information and not just blindly trusting when a doctor or scientist say, oh, yeah, it's fine. There's no side effects. It's proven. Well, how has it been proven in the last, what, like 
how long's the pill been around in the IUD? Like probably less. Well, than and we're so years. different as well. Like it might work perfectly for one woman, but just we're not all the same. So it's it's knowing your body. Mm-hmm. And sure, trying it, but if it's not working, I mean, I've had women say they've pulled it out themselves. You shouldn't be able to do that, but, you know, because a doctor literally wouldn't take it out. So you've got to be quite firm with yourself as well and um, discerning, yeah, with your body. Yeah, definitely. I always think it's interesting when people criticize the Yoni egg or, you know, I remember when Gwyneth Paltrow was talking about Yoni eggs on Goop she got a lot of flack from the evidence-based scientific community saying mm. you know, this isn't evidence-based, this isn't proven, it is placebo. But if you think about placebo effect, placebo effect means that you're creating the result physically with your mind, with your beliefs. So isn't that effective? Isn't that, isn't that great? <laughs> like, isn't that the whole point of using the yoni egg to bring your conscious awareness to your womb and creating the result that you're there to create. Like it does. And if you have the belief that rose quartz symbolizes self-love and you're putting that into your vagina and that is emanating and radiating from within, great. What's wrong with there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because science has proven things like gratitude does change the physiology of your body. So that is you using Mm. grateful thoughts to create feelings and physical responses in the body. So therefore, if you have that belief and that association with a tool like a yoni egg or pleasure wand, Mm. surely that is the exact same thing. But science is just, you know, can be very compartmentalizing and a little bit dismissive, I think, with some of these practices. So like you've kind of touched on, it's all about knowing your body. Like you, you're the expert on your body, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think if anything, the yoni egg just brings women in connection with that, physically in connection with that space. Like I said, touching it, putting your fingers in to slide the egg in, take, putting your fingers in to scoop the egg out, that can only be a good thing, women really touching and feeling that space in their body. Yes, the egg helps to strengthen and tone the pelvic floor and creates a bit more blood flow and more, more wetness. Like if I wear my egg around the house for half the day, my gosh, I'm dripping wet. Like it's, that's, there's no science <laughs> to that. It, that is just fact. Like it's, it is seriously, it helps so many women with, with, um, lack of lubrication and um, lack of sensation. Yeah, it just helps women connect to that part of their bodies. And when that happens, it's like that's our power center. Then we can, and if we feel more, we can communicate more to our partner, our boundaries. Like the ripple effect is huge. It's not just about getting a strong, tight pussy. Side note, tight isn't always a good thing anyway. It's, it's, it's more about like the, the tone, yeah, like a toned vagina is great but that it's there's lots of benefits and i think the the ma- the main benefit is just feeling in connection with your body and for yeah. a woman that's a huge thing definitely so you touched on boundaries there which i think is a cool one to talk about because a lot of my audience struggle with setting boundaries whether that's in their life and very probably in the bedroom so mm. how does coming into communion with your pussy, having your own relationship with your body translate into boundaries with a partner or in your real life? 
how is that connection made? I feel like when you know yourself, and I know this is a bit cliche, but when you know yourself, you're able to communicate to somebody else what what you need. Like if I know I like strawberry ice cream, I can tell my partner or my friend, can you get me a strawberry ice cream? Like it's it's a no-brainer. It's saying it's the exact same with our body. Like I know how I like um my body being touched. So like my partner loves to bite, like just like bite me and I'll be like, I don't like that. <laughs> and so sometimes or like he, like spank me or whatever and I'll be like, I my boundary is like you can do that when I'm aroused, that's fine. But in the, like walking around the house, I like soft touch. So it's just, and this is, you know, kind of what we gathered at the, the start of our relationship was these lots of boundaries and use, if you're, if you're in a relationship and it's the early stages, like use that time to really lay down what you need, want, fear and desire. I think those are the four main things, just expressing your boundaries. Um, and you can you, with a new partner, you also like, you start to learn what you like and what you don't like. I don't like being hurt, um, like bitten or, or hit. And obviously some people do actually, but I love it in, in the bedroom. So it's just, it's sometimes it's around timing and environment. I don't like my hair being touched. You know, that's a boundary of mine. Don't touch my hair. It's just all my, like all my scalp really. Like I, even at massage therapists, I'll be like, do not go anywhere near my head. I'll punch you in the face probably. Some people really don't like their shoulders being touched or their nipples. Like I had a coaching session with a woman the other day and we worked on bringing love and connection to her, her left breast, I think it was, so her left nipple. She just like she could literally smack her husband in the face if he even touched it. And I was like, okay, there's some trauma in there. There's something. But also great for communicating your needs and, and, and your boundaries. But she knew there was also something there beyond that that needed to be cleared and often if there is a bit of like oh I really don't like that there is healing to do around that a lot of people with necks you know they don't like to be choked or like touched in that way but once you heal it you might actually quite enjoy it like so there's a lot of a lot of boundaries um that I think is important to discuss with your partner but you've got to know yourself first and what you do and don't like with your own body definitely it's really hard to express that to somebody else, especially in the early days, if you don't fully own that and know that for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, yeah, from our sexual experiences that we have from a young age, that can really shape our sexual appetite and our sexual, you know, desires as an adult, especially if you've had abuse or something that has, you know, really traumatized you from a young age. Um, So talking about all that with your partner, or if you can't do that, at least talking to a coach about it first and then um, learning how to communicate that to your partner. And if you are wanting to communicate sexual boundaries, I always recommend to do it out of the bedroom first. Like do not give that kind of feedback when you're in the midst of passion like or like, you know, going down on each other or something. Like actually just do it in the lounge room when you're having a cup of tea because <laughs> there's not there's going to be less triggers and less chance of rejection and or abandonment or you know lots of different things that come up something I want to ask you about is I know from a lot of the women I've spoken to some of them actually have an aversion to their partner going down on them because they don't want their partner to look directly into their yoni they don't want them to see their their vulva because they hold some shame around how it looks so Uh, My guess is that a lot of this comes from conditioning and pornography because you have 
edited versions of people's vulvas and then people have had surgery. There's a certain like type of vulva we're used to seeing on a screen. Do you think it's just that or do you think that this is like a bigger story of shame and conditioning that some women have around their vulvas? Mm, I think definitely porn has a, a lot to answer to. The, the Barbie doll pussy, I call it, um, and a lot more women. You know, I think that as a female-bodied person, we have so much pressure to look a certain way and for many years we've been able to get our boobs done or our face or whatever we need to have fixed, you know, plastic surgery-wise, what we think we need to have fixed. And the, the vulva, the vagina was actually usually quite, you know, removed from that. No one, there was no labiaplasty surgeries and now there is, it's awful. Um, and there was over 10,000 in the UK or the US alone last year, like really high numbers of labiaplasty surgeries, which is literally cutting off the inner labia to make it look more neat and tidy in quote unquote. Um, so yeah, I think porn has a lot to answer to also just, you know, in general, women don't look at, or girls don't look at other girls' yonis or they all look the same when we're younger. But then as we grow and develop and hit puberty, they change color, they change shape, you know, well, it all changes down there. And, but by that age, we're not really getting naked in the changing room and going, oh, what's, what's your yoni look like? Like guys see each other's penises and it's very normal. And like they, you know, they kind of compare sizes or they play jokes about it. Like that's a whole other ball game with, with men and having insecurities around their cock size, especially with porn only showcasing really large penises as well. So they have their own sort of kettle of fish around that. But for women, yeah, we don't see real yonis in real life, actually. It's it's very much so um, trimmed and, and bare and bald yonis on, on porn. And so, I mean, I, I can attest to having insecurities about my yoni early on in the piece when a partner said to me that mine was not symmetrical. And so had I not been quite strong in myself and had another partner um, after him say it's actually the most beautiful yoni he's ever seen, I decided to believe what he was saying rather than the guy that was like, yeah, it is not symmetrical, but that doesn't mean she's not beautiful. Um, So I chose to believe the guy who complimented it. Um, But I would have been a great candidate for labiaplasty if I had, had I have believed or put my worth in somebody else's opinion of me. So I think it's important that we see real yonis, real vulvas, the great wall of vagina, which technically should be called the great wall of vulva, um, is, is something to Google. There's so many books. I've even got one, oh, it's upstairs, called The Heart of the Flower by Andrew Barnes. I sell that one on my website. It's just knowing that actually every vagina, every vulva is completely different. And if you really want to heal this, Yoni gaze with yourself in the mirror. So actually open your legs, sit down in front of the mirror and just look at her. Just give her some attention. Describe her, witness her, you know, write down emotions that come up, express emotions that come up and then see if you can actually do that with a partner. See if you can actually open your legs. And this is in a totally non-sexual context and let your partner see, witness, describe your yoni you know and if he says anything he or she says anything that's harsh maybe that's a sign that you're not meant to be with them like you it's important that we love our partner's genitals just as much as we love their face or their smile it's like 
yeah, sitting in front of them and being really vulnerable and letting them actually fully see you is so healing. Like turn, keep the bloody lights on because I was like that. I only used to have oral sex when the lights were off or when the curtains were closed so he wouldn't see that my left labia was so much bigger than my right or whatever. And now it's like, oh, my gosh, I have no, I think being with a woman as well because my partner has like a Barbie doll pussy and I have, like, we literally have the opposite looking vaginas. <laughs> and that has helped because she loves my vulva and I love hers. And it's like that in itself has been so incredibly healing. And a lot of women who actually end up in relationships with other women say that that has helped their body image perception a lot because they're being with a woman. You just have this new appreciation and respect. Yeah. If anyone is thinking of doing this, it can be quite confronting when you start. I remember I had this huge complex similar to you, asymmetrical. I remember someone when I was younger referring to girls as either having innies or outies, like belly buttons, but your vagina, your vulva. And I remember thinking like, oh, well, mine, mine is more like outward facing. Mine, my, you know, lips come out more than what I've seen on porn. So like, I must be inferior. Mine must not be as good. And so Mm. I held a lot of shame around that coupled with, you know, my stories that came from the abuse of like sex is about impressing a man, not, you know, not about me. And so when I started doing this, it was quite confronting to sit in the mirror and to look and as I did it though, and as I continue to do it, the more you look at it, the softer and less intense it becomes. And then you start to get curious and then it starts to look different. And um, then I've done it obviously now with my husband and he he's, you know, explored Tantra and things like that. And so he talks to, talks to it now, you know, and refers mm. to it as a flower. You know, that's been so healing for me and I feel a completely different way about my own body from doing that work. So, so much of this is about our perception rather than what is and our conditioning. And oh, I think yeah. everyone's so different and so beautiful, but we have to train ourselves to remember that. Yeah. And that, that's the thing about body image. It actually has nothing to do with your body and the way it looks because even models physically, you know, attractive models hate their bodies. So, uh, some of them, you know, have really hard time loving their bodies. And so if it was just about body, it would be easy to love yourself. But I think the perception um, comes into it. And so actually just looking at your yoni, just like you'd look into somebody's eyes, like soul gazing, and you start to see the physical starts to strip away and you stop seeing like this physical person in front of you and you start seeing into your soul. And that's kind of what happens when you yoni gaze. You just see beyond what you think is beautiful and you just see this inner beauty in yourself. It's like, oh, it's just something to be, it's another part of our body to be cherished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally resonate with that. So Mm. you're you're in a same-sex relationship now and you guys have moved in together and you're a stepmom. What's the dynamic between you guys? Like, are you the more spiritual one? Is Ash into the same work? Like what's going on there? Oh, my God. It's so funny. Yeah, I'm the spiritual one. I'm just surrounded by essential oils in here and crystals and like incense and I eat the, you know, the organic bliss balls and the almond milk (laughs) chai. And she's, we went on holidays a few weeks ago and she bought, I couldn't believe it, there was no judgment. 
because I've, I've totally released any judgment I have of what anyone does with their bodies or their or food choice any choices but she bought a six pack of meat pies <laughs> <laughs> and I was like um are those our meat pies in the freezer babe and she's like yeah I just thought it you know it's something really easy to eat on the go and I was like wow I have not eaten a meat pie since I was probably I don't know 18 <laughs> years old and hung over or something with a red bull, you know, it's just, I've been so conscious with what I've been putting into my body. And then I meet Ash and she's like, she's a fitness instructor. She's a choreographer for the jungle body, which is all over the world. There's amazing jungle body classes everywhere, but she's like the, she hates, she really doesn't like fitness and, but she's a dancer. And so she loves dancing and we're just, we're completely different. She holds a much more masculine energy. Um, and I'm much more feminine but then that switches a lot of the time as well. Like we, we're just kind of very fluid um, with, with that masculine, feminine energy. I always laugh because we, we're just, you know, she'd eat white bread if, if I let her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I'm, we're not allowed the, the gluten-free bread anymore. Like we, we, we find an equilibrium in food. <laughs> I like that because I get a lot of messages and queries from clients when they start going on a more spiritual journey and feeling like the polarity between their new lifestyle or their beliefs and their partner, it it feels like they're separating because they're so different. But I like that you guys are this contrast yet you just respect and accept that and it's still harmonious yeah I just embrace her as she is I've been with vegan organic only eating whole foods people go to the gym every day like super duper health no alcohol you know I've been in those relationships and they're actually quite restrictive and so when I met her I started eating meat again enjoying eating meat I started just you know like last night we sat on the couch and watch Married at First Sight. You know, I watch the TV now. Like I've just, I went so far on one end of the spectrum, like the pendulum went right that way. And now I feel like it's just kind of, and then I went the other way, you know. So, and then we had a Maxi Bon ice cream, which is something I used to indulge in very occasionally when I was younger. And it was so nice to just eat a fucking ice cream and not feel any guilt around it. She's just helped balance me out a little bit and she keeps me very ground, very grounded. Um, and I also bring more lightness and spirituality to her life as well. Like we just, I just keep doing my thing. She does her thing and we meet in the middle and I don't need to, I, when I first met her, I was like, mm, you need to have some green smoothies and mm, you need to do this and drink kombucha. And, and then I realized actually she really doesn't like that kind of stuff. Like she eats healthy, but it's, that's, I, can't, I don't want to change her. I've, I've just ex- completely accept her as she is rather than needing to change her. I like that. I think it's about being accepting and unconditionally loving. Yeah, and finding the humour in it too. Like, you know, we can't all be the same. And all my friends are kind of like me. So being with her is just, <laughs> I mean, she's a female as well. Like I've never been with a female. So it's like just going completely different to what I usually do. And it's, it works. It just, it works. For anyone who is still listening and is thinking like, wow, okay, I need to begin this journey with my body, with my vulva, vagina, everything that we've spoken about. 
where mm-hmm. where should they start? Are there any books or resources that you recommend as a first step? I have a few free ebooks on my websites um, around orgasm and pleasure anatomy. Um, what kind of orgasms women can have. So I feel like that's always really exciting to to research into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a womb healing meditation is is actually a really nice place to start as well because if you want to delve into the world of pleasure, sometimes it's important to look at the places where pleasure has been blocked. And so something as simple as a 20-minute womb healing can actually unlock and release a lot of this old stagnant negative energy that we've stored in there from who knows what. Like I take you through a guided um, journey on things that might have been stored there, not just from past lovers and stuff, but like even operations, um, times that you've said yes when you mean no. Yeah. So womb healing, I've got a few different courses. I have a Yoni Egg course, which um, is $97 and you get 10 free um, Yoni Egg sessions within that. And the Golden Yoni membership, which is a weekly, you can sign up just for one week, one month, two years, whatever you want. Like it's just an ongoing membership site for, you need a Facebook account for that one, but um, that'll be delving into the world of vagina and vulvas and yonis. Kind of like adult sex education. So amazing the work that you do. I love it. Mm, Thank you, Amy. Thanks for being so open-minded and sharing it on your platform. Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. Mm, Pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this episode ignited you, expanded you, and enriched your heart, your mind, your life in some way. If it did, reach out on Instagram. My handle is This Is Amy Rushworth, or you can head over to my website for all my courses, retreats, and magical offerings at amyrushworth.com. If the show feels like a vibe for you, make sure you subscribe. And if you have 60 seconds to rate and review, or even to just share the show with a friend, I would be so, so, so grateful and it helps more amazing, beautiful people like you to discover this show and to improve their lives for the better. Stay tuned for the next episode and until then, I'm sending you strength, grace, ferocious courage and a friendly reminder to always love yourself fiercely and to go out there and live your most unapologetic life.